So turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses of Acts 20. The book of Acts begins to make a sharp turn. Paul will be arrested soon and be headed off toward Rome. And so this is kind of the last days of his missionary journeys. And so before we dig into the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray again that you would use it to convict us of our sins. They are many, but they no longer separate us from your love because of what you have done for us. And so not only, Lord, convict us of those sins, but help us to more and more see that we are yours, that we need to trust you more and more, that the words that you give us are perfect and good and right, and they are they should be used so that we could learn more about you and more of what you require of us. And so Lord, we pray to that end this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in our text today, in Acts 20, we have a little boy falling asleep and then falling out of a window. And so, of course, it reminded me of all the times that I've fallen asleep at inopportune times or when others have fallen asleep uh, while I was teaching or preaching. Yes, that happens too. Uh, I was, I'm taking a biology class right now at Murray State. Um, for my education master's and I chose to take this one online specifically because the last two that I've done on campus I could not stay awake at all during lecture. They were usually right after school and so I would go straight from uh, Murray High School to the biology classroom and I would sit there and I would actually like come with three sun drops in hand and a pack of M&Ms and I would still pass out about 30 minutes in just gone and so I said I'm going to take this one online so I can sleep if I need to that's fine my own students at Murray High School uh, sometimes have a hard time staying awake in my class and I totally empathize with them as I've already stated I can't stay awake in class either one of the first sermons that I preached at Cornerstone the church we were at in Maryland a lady walks up to me afterwards And she says, Mike, I just wanted you to know I fell asleep, but it was wonderful. (laughs) All right. I don't know how you swallow that. I just said, thank you. While we were in Mississippi, I was at our first church that I worked in. I was teaching at a Wednesday night prayer meeting and there was a man asleep. We we had dinner and then we we had a lesson, which was kind of a recipe for disaster. But there was a man asleep on a chair in the front row. And he was snoring so loud that I just kind of had to like wrap it up in prayer because no one could stop from laughing the whole time. And you might think that it's sleeping that ties all these stories together. Sure, it does. But, and you'd be right, but it's something else that ties all these stories together. It's the fact that in all those situations that I just mentioned, there was something else that's tying them together. There's other circumstances or situations that made it so that sleep wasn't just because they were bored or inattentive. It was other things 
And for me at Murray State, it was the fact that I had been at school all day, and as soon as I get still, I'm just going to pass out. For my students, it could be that they didn't sleep it the night before, maybe because something's crazy at home. Uh, for the people that slept while I taught, I know both of those people, and they're on medication. It couldn't be helped that it's just something that happens occasionally with them. They would just fall asleep. It wasn't like they didn't care about my message or anything like that. The point, many times there are things going on behind the scenes that you can't know unless you dig a little bit deeper. And in the case of today's text, it's behind the scenes that the Lord is on display and the work of the Lord is on display. The word that we often use for this behind-the-scenes work of the Lord is called providence. And so we'll be talking about providence a lot. The, the providence of the Lord is front and center in our text today, and really in any text of the Bible it's front and center. As we're going to see several times in the passage this idea of the men or the women in the story intended to do one thing, but they ended up having to do something else because of other circumstances that were going on, how the Lord had different plans for them. And it was the Lord's plans, obviously, for the edification of His people and the church, for His own glory, for all eternity. And so as we look at this text, I want to consider three main ideas from it. The plotting of the enemy, the sleeping of the youth, and the resurrection of the dead. And so with that, let's read the text together. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, appeared, uh, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and there and were waiting for him or for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi to the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and, and eaten. He conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assus, he took on board and we, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, 
And sailing from there, we came to the following day to Caius. The same, or the next day, we touched in Samus, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. Each, or for Paul, had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. There's a lot going on here in this uh, text and a lot of little things that we could grab a hold of that we could talk at length on. And if you have questions during Sunday school hour, I encourage you, obviously, to ask those questions. But the main thrust here we're going to look at is God's providence in this. But one of those side issues that I do want to bring up, is, and, and Todd alluded to in his scripture reading this morning, was the idea that the believers there in Troas were meeting with Paul on the first day of the week, and they were breaking bread, and there was a sermon. What's going on? Well, this is the regular Lord's Day service in this small church there in Troas. They were meeting on Sunday, which historically the church had started doing after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, who was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And so, for the reason of honoring the basis of our faith. Why were they meeting on the first day again? The basis of our faith is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. It's through this that we have hope in the life to come. And so the church historically started meeting on that day. It has a theological basis, again, in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus You see that several times in the New Testament where they talk about meeting together on the first day of the week or meeting together on the Lord's Day. And they were breaking bread, which is to understood, at least in part, to be the Lord's Supper. There may have been another meal involved there. There's some talk about that. But definitely they were taking the Lord's Supper together. This was something that, again, was given to... The Apostle Paul was given to all the apostles, was instituted by our Lord himself in the upper room on the night that he was to be delivered over and crucified. And then they were listening to the word being preached from Paul himself, which this particular time was a pretty long sermon, apparently. So this is just an aside, but for centuries, literally since the apostles themselves walked On the earth, the church has met on Sunday or the Lord's Day to worship, to break bread, to hear the word preached. And I'll echo the author of Hebrews as he says, Let us not forsake the meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That brings me to the first point, the plotting of the enemy. So remember last week, Paul was wanted to enter into this riot that was going on in the city of Ephesus. Remember, there was this big riot and the people were shouting the same thing over and over again for two hours. And most of the people there had no idea what they were rioting about. They were just there to be loud. And Paul wanted to go in and defend his two people that were traveling with him. But his friends kept him from it. And so in verse 1 here, the after the uproar ceased, this is what's going on there. We're 
We're kind of being led right next to that. After this, he travels to Macedonia. This is the region north of Greece. This is where the churches, Philipp, or the Philippian churches, the, uh, the Thessalonian churches were there. Next, he travels to Greece, is what the text tells us, probably Corinth, specifically, major church there. He stays there for the next few months, probably overwinters there, is probably what's going on. Scholars believe that this is when he wrote his epistle to the Romans, arguably his most important work. And so this is a very important time in the Apostle Paul's ministry. And so while he's there in Corinth, this is when this trouble begins to stir. Verse three, he spent three, there he spent three months and, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, remember Syria is where the church in Antioch is, he decided to return through Macedonia. Remember the city of Corinth when, when we went through that passage. In Corinth, the Jews did not fare too well there against the church. They lost a couple of high-powered officials. Remember, they had the, the leader of the synagogue who was converted, and then they brought in another leader, and he was later converted. And several of the core, or several of the leaders of the Jewish people were beaten up in front of the court and made a mockery of, all because of Paul and the church. It would have made sense that they wanted to cause trouble. For Paul while he was in Corinth. The church in Corinth was doing really well. Remember the Apollos, he moved in and was teaching and doing well there. And so for whatever reason, this causes Paul to change his plans. Rather than going sailing straight to Syria, he goes back through those Macedonian churches and notice who he picks up there. In verse 6, but we sailed away. This is the author Luke. He finds Luke there. He picks him back up. We see this verse or this voice change to second person. I think it happens several times in the book of Acts. They eventually make it to Troas, this little city, a trip they weren't originally intending to take. Again, we don't know why he changed his plans, but it definitely had something to do with these Jewish plots against him. And remember, for Paul, this must have been particularly difficult. Paul was a Jew. For the Jews to plot against him was to have his own countrymen plot against him on foreign soil. Maybe he was there was just a handful of Jews there to begin with in a very pagan place, and the only Jews there that he should have some sort of camaraderie with, they're actually plotting against him, tempting to have him arrested or killed or whatever. And I think there's something very important for us there. The idea that we can make plans. We all know what it's like to make plans. And I don't mean like, what are we eating for lunch today? I mean like these long-term plans. This is what I really want to do. We can think that those plans are the right plans. And then the Lord can have other plans. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Think about that just for a minute. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. What does it mean? We can have plans, but ultimately it's the Lord that decides how our lives are going to play out. And at first, you may think, well, that's not fair. 
right? But just think about it for a moment. Think about our own hearts as we, especially as we expose ourselves to the Word of God, we become more and more in tune with the fact that we're not very good. We're almost as bad as we can be were it not for the Lord's influence in our life, obviously, changing us, making us more like Him. And we still struggle with this idea of sin. We don't really make the best decisions. And we still think that we're somehow going to end up on the throne of the world. And so just imagine for a moment if if you were with that heart that's wicked and mind that's wicked, if you were allowed to make decisions about what's actually going to go on in your life, it would probably not end up very good. And the Lord wants it to be good. But sometimes it doesn't seem good at all, right? And for Paul, his own people are plotting against him. He has to take this detour. He wants to go to Jerusalem, apparently to spend the Pentecost there, a very important Jewish celebration. For us, what's going on? When everything seems to be going great, something crazy happens. And you know what I mean by that. You know, it's not just you're about to sit down and eat a meal and you spill your water. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about big time crazy. The idea of how you want your life to turn out. Maybe it hasn't taken that path. How you want your marriage to turn out. How you want your kids' lives to turn out. Your career. Whatever it is. We all have these long-term plans, these long things that we envision. This is how I want things to be. This is what things would be if, it, if everything was perfect and good and right. But the Lord has other plans. We've all been there totally. We know exactly what's that like. We set ourselves up for success, or what we think is success, what we view as success. But sometimes it seems like the Lord wants us to fail. Or our loved ones to fail. Paul's situation is actually pretty tame here. He's just kind of got detoured. And he had to go back through the churches, which he'd love to do. He loved to preach the gospel. But for us, some of you and what you're going through even now, I know that this is not tame at all. So what do we do then when the Lord has other plans? Brings me to the next point. The sleeping youth. So there in verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Probably an evening service there, and Paul got into it and just kept on going. Uh, Four or five hour long sermon, maybe, or even longer. He intended to leave the next day. Maybe he should have went to sleep instead, right? Maybe he should have prepared for that trip and been resting and just kind of had supper and went to sleep. But instead, he was in the upper room really getting into his sermon. I'm sure the people there were loving it. You know, this is the Apostle Paul. He's right here in our church. Let's listen to him. He's got some good things to say. And here was this young man, Eutychus, who was struggling to stay awake. Totally understand what this is like. I think we all do to some degree or another. He's young. Uh, the word here in the, in the original language for young denotes a person between 7 and 14. So this isn't like some college kid there or uh, someone in their 20s. This is a little boy. 
probably even hasn't reached puberty yet. Just a little boy there, which interestingly enough is another side. Notice that they did not dismiss their children to go and color pictures of Noah's Ark and eat goldfish. They were right there uh, worshiping with their parents. But I'll digress on that. The young man was in the window, probably because it was stuffy in the third floor of the house. It was probably really stuffy. They didn't have air conditioning or electricity for that matter, so it was rough. He was uh, in the window. Not only that, the, the room was full of lamps. Well, again, they didn't couldn't go turn the light on, so these lamps were there so they could all see what they were doing. And there were torches. Have you ever seen a torch? Have you ever sat by a fire at night that's flickering and you kind of pass into this hypnosis? You know, where it's, that's kind of nice and, uh, if you're sitting by the fire in a comfortable chair, but if you're sitting in a window, it might be a bit precarious. The warmth of the room mixed with the cool breeze on the outside, the flickering torches, the smell of their fumes, and all of a sudden, he's out of it. Little guy tried, but he couldn't stay awake, and he passed out to his doom. However it transpired, whatever happened, Eutychus died. A sad story. Now, you're really going to love it when I tell you that the name Eutychus in the Greek means lucky. Not kidding. I didn't make that up. This is a joke by the author. Did he come up with this little boy's name? That Lucky fell out of the window and died in the middle of the sermon by the Apostle Paul. Be some kind of story to tell. Or do we believe in providence? Luck involves chance. Providence involves purpose. It was good that Paul was there in Troas that evening. When Jesus, when Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick and was dying, and his sisters came to Jesus and they said, please, you have to come. Our friend, our, your friend, our brother, Lazarus, he's about to die. What did Jesus say? This illness does not lead to death. And you're thinking, yeah, but he did die. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What was the purpose of Lazarus' death? Why did Jesus tarry on purpose? Why didn't he go and heal his friend so that the Son of God might be glorified through it? Why does this little boy fall out of a window? So that the Son of God might be glorified through it. When Paul took a detour through Troas, he must have been, must have, uh, as we would think, a run of bad luck, right? He was wanting to do this thing and he wasn't able to do it. And he had fallen out of favor with the Lord, perhaps. Is that what we want to think? But now, as little Eutychus lies before him dead, all of that changes. Consider your own circumstances. Because I promise you, you may think this from time to time, but consider your own circumstances. There's no bad luck involved in them. You didn't flip a coin five times and get tails every time. That's not how it worked. And there's no good luck involved in it either. When you look at the fortune of others and you think everything's good for them, why is that? Why doesn't? Why don't I get just a little piece of that? It has nothing to do with luck or any random anything. It is the will and purpose of a good God to bring about the ins and the outs of your life. And even if it seems as bad as it can be, 
It's not. There's hope. And it's not this kind of hope that the check is in the mail, just go wait by the mailbox, kind of silly hope. We're not even talking about that. It's the kind of hope that can only come from believing in something that is absolutely 100% real. The hope that only Jesus Christ can bring to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We all know Romans 8.28, right? That He's working all things out for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Words that Paul had only written just a few weeks previous as he was in Corinth. And now he's seeing that very thing lived out right before him. And we know for those who love God that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, understand this. This is not something that we're going to put on a cutesy little poster on our fridge and then mean that we get to define what good is. Our Lord gets to define what good is. Does this mean that we get to somehow dictate to God what we think we deserve or that what we have a right to? Or does it mean that God is always good to his people and we have to trust him even when it's hard? And if we're trusting ourselves, we're going to come up empty every single time. If we're trusting in the Lord, we trust someone whose promises always come true. What did he tell his disciples? What did he tell the people who were there in John chapter 2? Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they couldn't believe he what he said and even his disciples didn't understand it till later when they realized that he did that very thing when he was killed and then three days later he was risen from the dead and that brings me to the third point the resurrection from the dead paul takes little eutychus and he says his life is in him that isn't to say that he wasn't quite dead he was dead they brought him up dead but that's to say that he is now alive paul was used by the Lord. The Lord saw fit to raise that little boy from the dead through the hands of the apostle. And we learn that after this, what happened? They stayed up for the rest of the night together. He continued to teach them. And the little boy was right there with them. And they were all greatly comforted through this. What do you think Paul preached on for the rest of the evening? Well, what did Paul preach on throughout this book? What does he preach on throughout all the letters to the churches? The resurrection. We don't know that that's what he preached on, but man, what an amazing illustration all of a sudden that he had in front of him. I'm sure that the resurrection was a very important part of their discussion. What hope did those people have for their dead son that day? The resurrection of the dead. And sure... We don't all have that hope, right? I mean, sometimes accidents happen and there's no Paul to come and and raise them up. Eutychus walked away that day. But there was another historical day that is forgotten to history. Only the Lord knows this day when Eutychus, this man, breathed his last. He's not currently still living. It is not the freedom from physical death that we have hope in at all, brothers and sisters. 
It's the kind of death that never stops. It is the kind of death that's accompanied by the righteous judgment of a good God. It's eternal death that we must concern ourselves with. And in Jesus Christ, we have hope that we do not have to face that death. But we instead have been delivered through his death. We are forgiven all of our debts. And through his resurrection, we are raised with him to new life. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Eutychus walked away with mom and dad that day. But I'd like to think that today as we sit here together, that he walks with Jesus, his Lord. Not because of what Paul did, but because of what Jesus did for him and for all of his people. And now what does that have to do with the circumstances of our lives? Yours and mine, these horrible things that are going on all around us, even in our midst. When God says that these earthly troubles are temporary and that he's working them out for our good, we can trust that what he says is true. You may ask, how can this horrible situation that I'm living in possibly be good? And I'll answer, do you believe in eternity? And if so, how much? The more you see your earthly problems as temporary, the more you'll see what the Lord has in store for you, how much He's purposed the circumstances of your life to bring about His goodness and mercy in your life. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that's easy. It sounds like a painted over spiritual answer. It's not easy. It's hard. But we have to trust that what He is doing in our lives is good and right because it is, whether we believe it or not. Thankfully, Thankfully, he's continuing to work these things out for our good, even when we struggle to believe it. So in conclusion, I think it's very easy to only see the surface of our circumstances. But there's a deeper purpose behind them. As God's chosen people, that purpose, as we've seen, is for our good and for his glory. Let us trust that he is working all things together toward those ends. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we admit that we don't always want to see what you are doing. We want to tell you what we think you should be doing, what we think is good. But you know best. And so Lord, help us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to understand that you mean only for our good and for your glory. And that should be good enough for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.